Hi there, and welcome to the Oompal.com podcast. I'm Oli, and for episode number 36, it is my pleasure to bring to you a chat with Bob Beltrandi. I met Bob in Torrington, Connecticut, while on a press check. One of my duties in my job is to fly out to wherever a print job is running to make sure it looks correct. This means content and color. The content is easy enough. The color can be pretty tricky, as you're always at the mercy of both how the file was created, the ability of the machine, and the ability of the person running the press. Since I know a lot about how various file types are made, as well as how various presses operate, I'm a good fit for press checks. So I'm on a press check for a very large department store, and Bob is the general manager of the plant. We get to talking, and I mentioned that I carve pipes and have a podcast about pipes. Bob informs me that he spent innumerable hours as a teenager working in the tobacco fields, and suddenly I realize that sooner or later, I need to record this stuff. Well, as life would have it, it was later, years later, but we did it. Consequently, if you haven't already, pick up the book Tobacco by Ian Gately. It will give you a really interesting perspective on just how important that crop was to the growth of early America. Without the commerce provided by tobacco in the early days of the U.S., I seriously doubt we would be even close to being as far along as we are right now. Read it and send me your thoughts. The following podcast is made possible by PipesAndCigars.com. Whether you're looking for a pipe, pipe tobacco, cigars, pens, or even really cool shaving items, you'll be amazed at the selection over at PipesAndCigars.com. Hats, knives, flasks, and of course, great tobacco. I get email after email saying things like, hey, thanks for the tip about PipesAndCigars.com. These guys rock. Customer service is really big with them. So you'll get what I mean when you start doing business with them. I'm a huge proponent of customer service. Having a good product is just not enough. For me, I want to spend my hard-earned money where my business is sincerely appreciated and I'm not just a number. Pipesandcigars.com, they get this. And, you know, they've got this totally figured out. Give them a whirl and let me know what you find. The following podcast was recorded on December 7th, 2011. Sit back, grab a pipe, and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. All right. On the line with us, we've got Mr. Bob Beltrandi. Bob, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. How you doing? Doing good. So what's what's Torrington like right now? It's actually rainy, but it's been extremely warm. We just came off some natural events that are very unique for Connecticut. Um, we had an earthquake. Really? We had a, a hurricane. And in October, we had a freak snowstorm of 20 inches, um, which personally, I lost power for 10 days. Wow. So I think, I know in the South, you guys lose power, I think, frequently. Yeah, whenever that there's an ice storm here, we, we usually lose power for a couple of days, but, but not that long. Yeah, and, you know, the first uh, responders to help us out was uh, Pike Electric, which I think is in North Carolina. It's a Southern Electric Company, which we very much appreciate our friends in North Carolina. Wow. But 10 days. Gee whiz. So since then, it's been nice. It's been warm, and so maybe we need natural events like that to make it nicer. So uh, did you did you have a generator? Uh, I borrowed one. Did you go out help. and buy one now? I've, I'm still looking. They're out of... Uh, nobody has them, and they're getting resupplied, and the demand is high for generators at the moment. But Crazy. Ten days. Yeah, that would, that would stink. All right, yeah. the reason we're talking to uh, my buddy Bob here... Is because uh, one of the times I was up there on a press check, we got to talking, and I told him that I made pipes, and I do this pipe podcast, and we got to talking about pipes and tobaccos, and he said, you know, I used to I used to work in tobacco, and I was like, wow, no kidding. And uh, so Bob's going to tell us a little bit about uh, the job he had 
in the tobacco farms. Bob, how old were you when you got the job? Fourteen. And set, set up the story for me. So how'd you get the job? How'd you hear about it? Was it normal for, for people in that area? And, and where were you when you got when you were working in the in the tobacco fields? Well, we're called the Tobacco Valley. It's a stretch. Um, the the Hartford uh, there, there's a river going Connecticut River goes through Hartford, flowing from um, the Canadian border uh, down to the ocean, and it's the perfect spot to grow tobacco. The land is fertile, and um, people just don't know that this area produces the finest uh, tobacco for mainly for uh, cigars but I would imagine um, you know it's also used for pipes but uh, just people don't know that so we have uh, it's called Tobacco Valley in high school <laughs> we're part of the uh, Tobacco Valley Conference uh, very odd but so that's that's tobacco um, the Christian Brothers there's a whole bunch of local farms that uh, when I was growing up grew tobacco it's a farm uh, we're in an industrial area but it's also a lot of farmland which really is going away now uh, it's being um, uh, used for uh, homes and industry which is unfortunate but the uh, Christian Brothers were a local farm it was the next town over from where I lived uh, Suffield, Connecticut had it was all farmland and all tobacco. Um, there's really two places in Connecticut, Windsor and Suffield, that had a lot of farms where tobacco was. And it was just something that I grew up in Windsor Locks, the next town over. It was just a way uh, everybody that was in high school um, were 14 to 18 years of age uh, worked the farms and picked tobacco. It was a normal thing. So it was a word of mouth. Uh, like type job, and it was farm pay. Uh, how many hours would you would? And was this a summer job, or, or did you actually work through the year? Uh, they, you know, it it. That's a great question. The there's two types of tobacco. There's shade and broadleaf. Shade tobacco uh, is grown under nets, netting. So the the job starts when the nets get put up. They get taken down for the winter. Um, the snow, obviously, on top of uh, a netting material, you can imagine it would just damage the fields. So all the nets get pulled back. So in the spring, um, really the families that own the farms, the select uh, farmhands that stayed throughout the year, kind of like the core group of, of farm workers, uh, put all the nets together and... Um, made the shade uh, farmland but it would start you know plants would start growing it's just like any other crop um, in May uh, by the time school got out it would start a couple weeks before school got got out in June and um, as the as the plants started growing that's when uh, they picked up uh, labor probably the farm I worked on was maybe 200 250 kids that they would um, higher for the summer, and it would go throughout the whole summer. And there's a, a step of growth of a plant that ended uh, late August, uh, early September, and then it would uh, start the whole process over again. Wow. Okay. So, can you tell me about uh, some of the specific jobs you had on those farms? Right. Well, first, some background. I mean, Christian Brothers. Um, I, these are some of the memories which anybody who you would ask that worked back in that era, they're they're the because there's not a lot of farms today. Christian Brothers is not in existence anymore. They're not growing uh, tobacco, which is unfortunate. But um, it was a dollar ninety one an hour. That's what we earned. Wow. Um, we get picked up. Had to be at the bus stop. They would pick you up in an old converted school bus that was painted blue. And that was the Christian Brothers um, through our town, different farms, like Colbro came through in Windsor. They had different painted buses. Uh, but the blue buses for Christian Brothers are the ones that we used to take to the farm. They'd pick you up. You had to be at the bus stop at 6.10 in the morning. 
you'd stop work um, at three in the afternoon and you'd be home by four o'clock typically. But there was opportunity to work at night. Uh, besides the shade tobacco, uh, they grew broadleaf. Broadleaf is used as the wrapper for a cigar, and broadleaf grows um, as a, a plant that's out in the open. It, it looks just like uh, you know, it's not. It's like a corn crop. Um, so, is, but that's that's broadleaf. Is broadleaf only for cigar wrappers? Yes. Okay, and then shade yeah. would be for everything else, basically, right? Right, shades a um, yes. It's an, it's part of the inside of a cigar. Um, uh, it, it's a binder. You typically the wrapper is for uh, is a broadleaf wrapper, um, but also the binder. I guess some shade tobacco is used as a, you know, there's multiple layers of, of a wrap, and uh, shade is used for uh, as a binder and a wrapper. So it depends on the cigar. Okay. So go ahead with um, you know some of the some of the jobs that that you had, yeah. or, or some of the ones that you knew about, even even if you didn't have them. How, how the whole process worked? Well, I actually did them all, which is good because uh, I worked there for four summers. Um, the, the shade tobacco has certain positions, and then broadleaf has certain positions. But shades kind of split up into two things: uh, the, the kids that work out in the field, and kids that work in the sheds. Um, the, there was a boys' bus and girls' buses. Girls only worked in the sheds. Boys only worked in the um, fields. A select few of the boys got to work in the sheds. Um, if you were in the, if you're out in the field, uh, in doing shade tobacco picking uh, as, as a position, um, you perform the multiple tasks. Um, early in the season, you suckered the plants. Suckering the plants is as the plants starting to grow um, between, the, between the ground and the... Um, it, it, I, have to, I guess I have to explain. The, it's shade tobacco is under nets. It's poles, uh, like a cedar pole that's... Uh, uh, you know, maybe 30 yards in length, pole to pole to pole to pole. And then to the pole, there's a wire uh, grid that's inside over a row that the plants, you, you, you tie a string to the wire going down to the plant. As the plant starts to grow and mature, it's called twisting. You twist the string around the plant so it grows straight and you can pick the leaves off of it. So in the early in the season, you're tying string to plant, then you're twisting the plant as it grows. As it grows, little offshoots, you know, any plant, whether it's tomatoes or whatever, you're, you sucker them, all the weeds off of them. Um, and then you twist, and then you pick. And as you pick, uh, as the season progresses, there's a first picking, a second picking, a third picking, all the way till... You know, depending on the height of the plant, plants got to, you know, six, seven feet tall under the nets, and there would be a seventh picking, which is the final picking. But you can just picture this. It's a very tall plant um, with very large leaves, and it would be a, uh, per layer, there's usually three leaves in a section or a layer, So, and that's what you'd pick. So if it was a third picking uh, you were standing up, you're stooping over a little bit, and you'd pick three leaves off of off of the plant. So as you're as you're picking and as the plant grows, uh, in the beginning you can't see through the fields because of all the leaves and all, and all of the plants. But when you get to like the sixth picking, you can actually see all the way through the entire field because all the leaves are gone. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that makes sense. Are there, are it's a there good certain, description. Like as you're going through and picking these leaves. Are there certain ones that that you want to pick and certain ones you don't want to pick? Like, you know, do some have fungus or some eaten up by bugs or anything like that? Or, or no, these are all, you know, uh, these are all uh, all of the leaves are good. Um, I as far as the processing of leaves, um, I suppose if leaves were were not the best, they'd probably be ground up and used as a binder um, because it's in a, a very aesthetic. You know, a, a leaf used as a wrapper has to basically be perfect because that's what you're seeing once it's dried and 
it turns into that you know dark uh, rich uh, smoky looking uh, leaf uh, it has to be perfect can't be broken um, but fungus you know they're they're fertilizing and pesticides and you know it's a perfect plant uh, on because it's shaded there's nothing you know, nothing gets into you know, the nets, uh, uh, protected uh, animals for the most part, other than what's on the ground. Don't get into it. There's no birds in there for the most part. It's a protected plant and, and very expensive, I would imagine, to grow. Um, so it starts out when you're, you're you, as a, as a picker, um, some of the, this is farm work. So it's, it's, uh, you have to have a very strong work ethic. Um, the to do this job it's it's you're getting a dollar 91 an hour so it's and it is piecework you can't earn more than that um and you're it's hard work in the morning it's freezing you know it's in the the 50s 60s if it rained the night before i always hated that because in the first couple pickings and suckering you're actually sitting down in dirt in the row um and you're uh, scooching along on your butt, uh, suckering, and, and it's not until you get to maybe the second or third picking that you're standing up. So you're in a row, and you know it's a hill. There's hills in the row in the field, and you know there's there's wet puddles. You know you're getting soaked first thing in the morning, but then by the afternoon it's over 100 degrees. Sun's out, everything dries out, and that's when it gets it turns into the afternoons rough. Besides being hot, it's when you're picking the tobacco, the juice of the tobacco, the, the nicotine um, stains your hands, gets all over your clothes, and it gets incredibly sticky. So by the end of the day, when you come home, you know uh, every kid had, every picker, you had tobacco clothes because those clothes were just, were really disgusting. The front of you, from head to toe, would be sticky. You'd wear a bandana, you'd cover your hair. Um, and then everything stuck to it. So any dirt that's in the air, uh, you came home and you were just absolutely filthy. Uh, you take your, you know, the clothes from whatever was facing the tobacco would be very sticky and dirty. Um, and those clothes were only used for uh, tobacco, um, per se. Wow. <laughs> so that's a that's a long day. So tell me tell me a little bit more. It's a long day. Uh, tell me a little bit more about you know some of the other jobs that you had and 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 how how all this worked as far as how it went through you know from the beginning of of you guys uh picking the leaves to you know how it moved through the plant yeah there there's well uh the plant that's you you make it sound like it's sophisticated uh <laughs> it actually the the leaf uh itself would go to a to a shed they're not called barns uh it's it's uh, shed work there's a hierarchy of positions. Um, the hierarchy is a picker, um, then a dragger. The, the picker actually makes a bundle of leaves, leaves it in the row in between the plants so that somebody comes behind him and, and drags a canvas basket that weighs about 20, 30 pounds. It's got a canvas flap that you flap over it once it's filled with um, leaves. And the dragger's responsibility would be one dragger per picker. So uh, a row of tobacco would be, say, 10 bents. A bent is between pole to pole. And in between each pole, there might be, you know, 25 to 50 plants. So you would go through rows. Um, your job was, as a picker and as a dragger, the dragger was always going behind the picker to pick up these pods of leaves, put them into, put them perfectly into a, a canvas um, uh, a basket, and then you, and then the, the dragger would drag that basket out, which you know at some point would weigh, you know, in the summer when there's a lot of leaves in there, it'd be very heavy. It would be 80 pounds. It might be even 100 pounds between the weight of the basket and the leaves that are inside of it, and you drag them outside of the row. So you have a you have a picker, you have a dragger, and you know you have. 10, 20, 30 rows being picked simultaneously. So you would pick a field. Um, it would take a couple hours or four hours, depending on how big the field was. And you had a you had a pick. Um, I, I remember 10 rows was the standard. 
in eight hours um, with lunch and breaks. If you got more than that, um, you basically would pick a hundred bents worth of of tobacco. Then you got into piecemeal time. So I was one of the guys that was smart and figured out who was the fastest picker. And the pickers and draggers could pick each other as partners. Well, I picked the the, the owner's son, who was uh, less than 14, extremely fast, very small, and he would pick 20 rows a day. So depending on how long the row was and, and number of bent poles, you got 10 cents per bent or pole to pole extra as piecemeal. So you can imagine if you picked an extra 10 uh, rows that day, there's 10 bents in that row, um, at ten cents, uh, that's ten dollars a day. You can earn extra just from the piecemeal. Um, so at a dollar, a dollar ninety-one per hour, eight hours. That's like fifteen dollars a day is what you earn. You could earn an extra ten dollars if you had a really fast and you were motivated uh, and had a lot of energy. <laughs> but the best guys made twenty-five dollars a day. That's what you earned. That's how it worked. Um, and the the actual baskets then it would be dragged to the end of the row. There'd probably be four or five baskets per row. So that that's the, the guys that are in the field. Um, what happens to the baskets? The baskets then have to be loaded. There's a job called loader. There's a couple of guys that stay behind that actually load tractors. A, a big John Deere, Farmall-like type tractor would come along. It had compartments with a trailer, usually three high or four high, and the loader would load these baskets, lift up a 100-pound basket, one after one, and uh, the loaders would do each side of the tractor. And each tractor held 50 maybe baskets, maybe 75, depending on how big the trailers are all different sizes. But And they'd get loaded into like a bin or like a mail slot type thing, and you'd load them in. And that's how the, the tobacco got transported to the sheds. Wow. You know, this kind of reminds me, I grew up in Florida and, and my dad um, and his brothers and sisters owned ferneries. And so, um, you know, when you get a, a bouquet of roses and it has some green stuff in it, um, usually that's fern. And, you know, I grew up, um, you know, pulling weeds in the ferneries and eventually uh, doing a little bit of fern cutting myself. Um, but that was usually reserved for, for the guys who really knew what they were doing. And then there's, you know, packing the fern and, and you know, just tons of other stuff. But this really reminds me of, of kind of the different steps that, that you would go through uh, with fern as well. It's a, it's a cut greenery product that would eventually end up at a wholesale florist that would be sold then to a retail florist and then, you know, eventually end up in flower arrangements. So it wasn't actually a a, uh, a a plant that you're selling it you're you're selling the cut greenery you know not too unlike uh the tobacco that you're talking about okay so we got from picker to dragger to loader now uh once these are loaded onto uh the tractors where do they go then we're we're going to a shed so this is the hierarchy of position usually in your first year you're picking and dragging and some you know, guys, that's what they did for their whole uh, tobacco picking career. I was one of the guys that actually moved up um, and actually got to the shed. Uh, at the shed level, you have an unloader of the of the uh, baskets, which you'd have to stack them in front of the sheds. Uh, it, it was a premium position, the hierarchy. Uh, you wanted to get to the shed if you could uh, because that's where all the girls worked. So you can imagine 14, 15, 16-year-old guys with 14, 15, 16-year-old girls. Right. It was a great, it was a great place to work because it was hot, lots of shorts. Uh, it, it was a uh, for the guy. It was uh, it was great because there would be a couple guys to 100 girls <laughs> working Jeez. side by side all day. Um, and the the women in the shed were uh, all sewing. So the baskets would get unloaded. You can imagine, uh, you know, it's 95 degrees out. You're lifting baskets that have wilted of, of product. Uh, they weigh 100 pounds. And you unload uh, 50 baskets <laughs> per tractor coming into the shed. Wow. It's really physical, demanding 
uh, you, you uh, probably the best shape I ever was in my life was was working uh, as a loader unloader. It, it was really heavy work. Um, then you took the baskets into the shed, you put them against the shed walls where they cooled down, and basket by basket we go over to an industrial uh, sewing machine. And a sewing machine was uh, not what you think. It's, a, it's really like a string twister or tire. It's horizontal. Um, you'd put a wooden lat. Uh, a lat is a uh, you know stick that was you know three feet tall maybe that had slat slots in each side of it. You would slot some string into one side. Um, the machine would start twisting the string. As it's twisting, the sewer um, would put uh, a, a pod of tobacco into the twist, and in the end, you'd have a lat that had um, 20, 30 uh, leaves, tobacco leaves, um, that were sewn into it. And then that lat, with all that tobacco, would be handed up to somebody that's in the shed. In the, They're up on the tier of the you know, inside of a shed. Um, you know, it's three or four tier high, and they would actually hang the tobacco uh, horizontally, tier by tier by tier. You would build inside of the shed, layer by layer by layer, up to the peak of the roof line of the shed with all this tobacco that's hanging horizontally uh, on all these lats. And that's green tobacco, just as you would see on uh, you know, a plant. So the, the jobs inside, you'd have an unloader, you'd have a guy be bringing the basket, That part of that responsibility was bringing it to the sowers. Then you had guys who were up climbing inside of the, of the shed. And you'd be spread eagle between, you know, it's basically the width of doing a split. Uh, and you would, you would uh, very hard to, to describe this, but you take the lat, they weigh, they're pretty heavy, they're 30, 40 pounds, and you'd swing it between your legs up, upward, so it was uh, uh, kind of like holding any a pole up, uh, up to the ceiling. And then the, person would, the next person would grab it. So if, if you're in a four-tier high shed, there's actually five guys there, uh, one at each level, and a guy, and you just are swinging each one of these laps with, with all the tobacco in it and then perfectly hanging them, um, kind of like meet the dry uh, across the shed. It sounds like once you get into the shed, there's, there's some opportunity for... Um, problems to happen like did you see any kind of um, accidents between the sewing or, or the you know throwing these lats up well you know in in the fields uh, you actually took buses and tractors uh, between farm to farm uh, you know this is regular old country roads and and beautiful Connecticut so besides the fights there would be fights of the best pickers and draggers but the there was quite a lot of uh, animosity between uh, the guys that were in the fields and the guys that were in the sheds. The sheds uh, had a pretty derogatory name. Uh, if you were if you were in the shed, you were called a shed pussy uh, by the pickers and the guys out in the fields. And there was not a lot of love uh, between the guys that earned the right to be with the girls all day <laughs> right, and the right. guys that were out in the fields. Um, because of that. The guys in the fields would do things uh, to, to really disrupt uh, operations. What would they do? Um, snakes were common. They would put uh, a, a snake. Uh, we, our area is famous for copperheads. Uh, copperheads, uh, a, a very bad snake, uh, uh, dangerous snake. And that would be inside of the basket. You would know it. When the, the, the girl, you bring the basket over to the, the sewing machine, uh, there would be a copperhead, um, and they are poisonous. So you'd have that uh, situation, and you can imagine uh, all the girls around, 25, 30 girls screaming, running out of the sheds because there was a, a copperhead in the basket. They would uh, defecate in the baskets, <laughs> uh, which, you know... Um, that takes polite, work, Bob. I mean, these guys are serious. <laughs> you know, politely said, you know, there's no bathrooms out in the fields. Uh, you know, and of course, that's a fireable offense. 
uh, some of the things that you get fired for would be doing that. Uh, you, some guys who were lazy and didn't care about uh, piecework and didn't care about making more money would actually would lay in the fields when it got really hot in the afternoon and became very uh, lazy and hot at that term. And some of the guys would lay in the baskets just to be jerks. That was a fireball fence because you'd break the leaves, the stem of the leaves. Um, we had a skunk. We actually had a skunk in a basket. Wow. So the basket got opened. There was Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> uh, he just looked around. He didn't spray. Thank God. I think he was still uh, pretty comfortable in a nice dark little uh, basket. He wasn't too traumatized. Uh, but that led to a whole barn being evacuated. <laughs> wow, yeah, I guess so. Because, uh, you know, he got out of the basket, and, you know, he was walking around the, around the shed, and that was very exciting. That gave us a nice 20-minute break uh, in the afternoon. But those are some of the things. Uh, <laughs> Gee whiz. <laughs> so um, once, once the tobacco leaves are... Um, hung inside the shed and before we actually before I, I get there so I'm driving through Connecticut and I see all these these things that I thought were barns are they are they all tobacco sheds they're sheds tobacco sheds and people that know better would get very upset if you call them a barn mm-hmm. uh, because everybody knows what that meant uh, a, a barn versus a shed the shed is a shed. There's all. You can tell the difference because when you pull up to a to a, a barn versus a shed, the shed will have a huge 250, 500 gallon propane tank next to it. The propane tank or natural gas was used. There's actually uh, as part of the curing process. They don't let the the leaves just don't hang there and age. They actually uh, uh, fire them. Uh, there's burners. It looks almost like a. Uh, 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 a small little. Uh, we just had it for Thanksgiving. We had a, a, a deep fried like turkey. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those burners that come with the the base of that with a with a fire burner. Mm-hmm. They, they're they're put on the bottom of the uh, shed floor on the dirt floor, and all these they fire actually the barns, uh, the sheds. They they uh, heat them up, and that's what cures the rapidly cures the uh, leaf. And and it, it dries out. The the leaf itself becomes uh the tobacco leaf itself becomes very dry, uh and all the moisture gets a lot of the moisture gets taken out of it until it kind of just like hangs there. Hard for me to picture it, but it, it to describe it. But it goes from green to brown. And basically what you see as an end result of a wrapper on a cigar or the binder, you know, the inside material of a cigar, that that that's what you see. And pipe tobacco, that color, mm-hmm. there's all different colors. You know, some are light, some are dark. It just uh, really uh, uh, depends on the seed of that of that uh, plant. So, um, how often would they fire these leaves? Is it is this a daily thing, or is this? Yeah, like... it's daily. Okay. They'd be fired intermittently. Um, do as, and then this is done in the winter. Um, in the winter. If you're up here, you would see the barn has uh, slats on the side of it. And to release air and get air circulating through the barn, they don't open the doors. There's actually slats on the side, the walls of the shed, and they open up. You actually, it looks almost like a vertical blind. Uh, they open up, and uh, every other uh, panel, per se, or, or slat of a shed uh, would be open open air so air would filter through the the shed and if you, if you were if you had shed after shed after shed after shed and you're just driving down down the road next to a farm it the smell is fantastic um it's it's uh it's kind of uh, my father smoked a pipe and it, when he, you'd open up a, a pack of of tobacco a pouch of tobacco that that fresh smell um I just remember as a kid that that was one of my favorite smells, the aroma of that. Yeah. That's what it smells like going through, <laughs> driving through. Wow. Just have your window down. Um, when they're curing the tobacco, it, 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 it's not as uh, you know, a dense of an aroma, mm-hmm. but you get that smell. It's great. Wow. So uh, 
Okay, so how long do they do they actually cure it? So they turn it on. Let's see, they turn it on after three o'clock, four o'clock. It's for it's first thing in the morning. Um, it, it's fired on and off intermittently during the day. You have a care tender. You know, all all the owners of the farms and brothers and uh, a lot of family worked on the farms. They would. It's a season of curing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing it's between you know three and six months that the tobacco hangs in there and is cured. Um, by the time that April comes, all the tobacco's down and you're restarting that process again. So if you're finishing all of the tobacco hanging, you know, in by end of mid-September, you know, it, it's probably uh, four to six months that it's in a shed's curing because the next season comes and, and you're, you know, I, I remember one, one of my last years, uh, we actually had these big, huge boxes that were shipped overseas. Uh, all the tobacco we uh, were uh, producing went to England, actually. Um, and that uh, to be processed further um, and sold outright that way. So we put them in huge boxes. So by April, all the tobacco is gone so and starts the next season. As, it's, as it gets hung up, um, I guess I'm not understanding how long it stays in that shed because you've got you've got people working in that shed doing the sewing and everything else, right? Oh, I, I see. Uh, the shed the shed is uh, built up until all the tobacco hangs in there, and the shed is done. You move okay. from shed to shed. You move the sewing machines, all the workers. You know oh, that wow. shed is clo- is closed up. Okay. That that shed's done. For the growing season, when you fill a shed up, that's four or five, and you know some of them are seven tier high. When you when you finish those shed and all that tobacco is hanging there, that's there for a season. Okay, so once that shed is done, then it starts getting cured on and off throughout the day for however many months, right? That's right. Okay, so until it gets that nice, moist, dried out, uh, you know, uh, looking leaf. I guess if you unwrapped a, a, a long cigar, you'd kind of see what the, the veins of what that leaf looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I guess any you know plant that you see that has a nice uh, leaf, uh, you know, long elongated leaf uh, with spines in it, that's the way a tobacco. It's just a magnified, a very large leaf. Some of the leaves were probably as as big as 16 inches deep. Wow, it's a big leaf. Uh, coming off the plant. So, um, once you, once that farm got done with their tobacco, um, like you said, it, it, they would put it in big boxes and ship it overseas. Was, was it always an overseas thing? Um, well, you know, Connecticut is uh, Connecticut grown. It is a uh, marketing tagline that you see everywhere here, in parentheses. Uh, Connecticut grown. Is if if you look at uh, cigar uh, makeup, when you buy a cigar, uh, they'll always tell you what the binder and wrappers are, where they're mm-hmm. from. Um, even Cuban cigars have Connecticut wrappers. It's it's they're the best. Uh, Connecticut grown tobacco is the best in the world. It's just one of the because of the soil, the, the richness of the soil. Um, that that tobacco is revered, um, really, as the best wrapping tobacco that there is in the industry. So it's it's it goes to um, many many places, and it, it even goes to you know Cuban cigars. Right, we can't you know U.S. can't trade with directly with Cuba, but it's indirectly you know obtained uh, right. from other countries that are buying it, wholesaling it type thing, mm-hmm. and get and getting it there. Any idea how that's divvied up once uh, once it's sold? Like, do you know? Do you have any idea how much uh, went to cigarettes or how much went to uh, pipe tobacco or how much went to wrappers and stuff like that? Uh, well, my my guess is that the we didn't talk really about broadleaf tobacco. Mm-hmm. Broadleaf tobacco is one that's just open air grown. That that tobacco. Um, uh, is not as protected as the shade product, tobacco. Uh, the shade tobacco is the premium wrapper uh, material. I would imagine a lot of the broadleaf goes as a binder. 
um, that's used for, uh, you know, shredded into various uh, uh, products and cigarettes and, and pipe tobacco and that kind of thing. Um, shade tobacco, I would be guessing, is 100% uh, going into cigars. And, and probably just for the wrapper? A wrapper and binder. Okay. Uh, the the binder. I mean the the leaf has to be perfect. You know, if you're making a a ten or twelve inch cigar, if you're making a very long cigar, that that leaf has to be as close as possible to perfect mm-hmm. because it's going to be wrapped. You're the the end the, the end user is going to actually see that finished you know leaf, mm-hmm. and it, it's basically there can't be flaws in it. If it's a premium type cigar it's got to be it's got to be uh you know the best leaf possible if it's not that's where i think the binder comes in um you know I, i'd love to go visit a uh, uh one of my things on my list is to actually see how cigars and tobacco's actually made mm-hmm. uh i went to the winston salem uh, uh uh plant to see cigarettes made i thought that was really neat but i i would love to see how other tobaccos are made how it gets finished yeah, I, I actually got to see uh, someone hand rolling some cigars at a JR Cigar one time when we were there, in, right there in North Carolina. Which was oh, sure, really amazing. Um, that was really cool. But yeah, I'd love to see um, uh, you know a lot more as as far as you know how how it goes from from start to finish. You know. Well, I you know hopefully uh, this discussion gets it from. You know, seed to uh, shipping crate <laughs> covers uh, you know everything that goes into it uh, to get it to that to get it to that stage. Now, the broadleaf stuff is that also cured the same way? Uh, it's cured the same way. It, it's you know it's cultivated different. Uh, it, it, we actually um, you know corn is is a is like a four a.m. thing. Uh, the tobacco under the shade tobacco is until like three or four thing. Broadleaf was always at night uh, until dark. Uh, I, I can remember staying, you know, going home, coming back. Um, and uh, the, the one thing about the Christian brothers that was pretty neat is they had uh, two Lincoln Continentals back in the day, uh, late 70s type thing. One was brown and one was blue. And you could always tell what the day was going to be like because if you saw the, the Lincolns coming through town, you knew that uh, everything was too wet and you had a day off. But the Lincolns are significant because we used to, uh, you know, from a broadleaf standpoint, there's a very select group of guys, uh, a handful, that would do broadleaf. Broadleaf, you're actually using a machete. Uh, you're cutting the base of the plant itself. You have a, a metal uh, attachment that goes on a lat that acts as a spear. And you actually spear the uh, trunk or the, the base of the um, uh, tobacco plant itself, that's how it's put onto a lat. It's not uh, it's not tied like a shade product is. So it's a completely different uh, plant product. Um, and that that that's and then that goes into the shed because that's you've speared it onto you know a lat type thing and then that gets hung up too. And, these, and that's just a different tobacco product. Do these plants, the shade versus the broadleaf, do they look totally different? They're 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 different. Um, shade is a lighter green, uh, a plant. Um, I, I, it's hard to explain. Um, the uh, the broadleaf, when you look down, the leaves uh, between in the row, the, the leaves actually touch your. You rub against the leaves uh, of each plant. You almost can't get through the row because they're, they're, they've grown and expanded and they're very wide. Um, and they almost you, you touch as you go through. Shade's different. Um, shade, uh, the you know, it's mounds of dirt. You know, there's a there's a gully that you're sitting or, or walking through as you pick, and they're more. They just look more pristine. Mm-hmm. Uh, hard for me to describe that, but um, the broadleaf is a darker, uh, more wild-looking like type plant. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more. Uh, you know, shade looks more sophisticated. 
Um, did you did the owners smoke cigars? Yes. Was would you say that the culture around the job was that was there a smoking culture there? Everyone smoked uh, in in the in the uh, shade. Uh, you didn't smoke. You didn't smoke around the plants. Um, that's where chewing tobacco. Probably the sickest day I ever had in my life was the first time I tried uh, chew and had a big wad and and swallowed the juice. Uh, I went. Uh, I probably turned purple and then white as a ghost and passed out. Uh, out at the and I lost a couple hours of work because I passed out sick as a dog uh, <laughs> for my first time with chewing tobacco. But chewing tobacco was certainly allowed. Um, but no, the the cigars and smoking on the tractors and uh, they always had a big, huge, uh, you know, smoky cigar hanging out of their mouths. No kidding. Um, so after all of your experience with you know, growing up around tobacco, did you, do you smoke, um, cigars or pipes or anything like that now? Uh, cigars, cigars. And you probably know a lot more about cigars than a lot of people do just because, you know, you kind of grew up in it, right? Right. Um, you said Christian brothers, they're not around anymore. Did, did another company step in or is it just, uh, um, is the industry just not very much there anymore? Um, you know, I actually uh, looked that up. The the back in the day, you know, this this first started around you know circa 1900 uh, in Windsor. You know, it, Windsor it was Windsor, Windsor Lock, Suffield in this valley where some of the best tobacco uh, is grown. Um, it there there was just it was a lot of farmland. Um, you know, then versus now, I, the, the peak was over 30,000 acres of farmland was dedicated to just making, to growing tobacco. Today it's 2,500 acres. Um, wow. So the, from an industry standpoint, you know, not a, a significantly uh, a lower amount of tobacco was grown here. The, the fields which I worked in as a kid are gone. It's all um, housing developments, uh, it's really populated, you know, in comparison to what it was, it was all farmland. Now Suffield, that area is a really premium, uh, marketplace for homes. It's between, it's dead center between Hartford, Connecticut and Springfield, Mass. And it's a very popular area, a very wealthy area of Connecticut. Um, the new homes that are in there, you know, just all developments now. So there are still a couple farms that are there, but, there's really not much tobacco. Um, when you, when you, if you were to fly into Connecticut and go to Bradley International in Windsor Locks, the, uh, the you go through Windsor, uh, you will see the sheds. There is still an active uh, farm community there. So Route 75 that goes that brings you 291 from the airport on left and right side of the highway. Uh, when you look down, it's all shade tobacco. So in the winter. And you just see the poles and the grid, the, the wire grid system. And in the summer, it's all just white uh, mesh netting. And that's where all the shade. And I, I think that's uh, Colbro Brothers. I, I think they're still, you know, unless that's changed, but that was their, you know, farmland. Because um, there's still tobacco grown in that area, do you, are there places that, that sell? Uh, cigars or, or or tobacco at a reduced rate, or or do you feel like there's um, more cigar smokers in that area than than maybe other places? Um, I, you know, that's a great question. I no, there's no discount. <laughs> the uh, uh, the cost to uh, buy cigars uh, probably at a premium just because it's Connecticut and everything's more expensive here. Um, I think the knowledge of it. You know, if I had a if I had to put a stab out there and guess at it, I, I'll bet. You know, from a knowledge standpoint, if you ask anybody around here that that smokes and and work, they're going to have some kind of direct or indirect knowledge of how that tobacco was made. I mean, everybody that grew up back in the day, uh, my generation, 
this is if you worked this is one of the things you did um you know the the work ethic and the education and the training you just can't you just can't get that any other place than just these experiences mm-hmm. um i wish my kids would get these experiences but it's just not possible um, yeah you know, there's just no farms like that around here but uh you just can't uh you can't replace that yeah Wow, very cool. Um, is there anything else that you can think of to add to um, this story before we take off? This is really awesome. No, I, I, um, I'm happy you remembered our conversation and that, uh, you know, it's a, I, I hope you enjoyed the story. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it was, uh, you know, it was really hard work at the time. I, I don't know if I appreciated it. Um, as much as I do today, um, I specifically will only smoke a Connecticut uh, wrapped cigar, um, and I prefer a dark broadleaf, like a Maduro uh, type cigar, because uh, it's intense. Because um, I can appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, uh, you know, I'm glad I had that experience, and you know, now it can be shared. Yeah, absolutely. On your. Your podcast. That's right. Listeners all over the world will know about uh, your experience and uh, a little bit of, a little bit more about uh, Connecticut tobacco. That's very cool. Well, very good. Well, thanks, Bob. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, chat with us. Uh, you're you're welcome. And that was my chat with my buddy Bob Beltrandi. What a great guy. True story, once Bob and I got to talking about beer, and it turns out we're both fans of stouts. The next time I saw him, he had a pack of some very fine microbrew stout just for me. What a guy. Okay, so how cool was that? Hearing about the ins and outs of the tobacco fields back in the day. What a neat insight. Shoot me an email and tell me your thoughts. Don't forget, this podcast was made possible by PipesAndCigars.com. Love their products, love their service. Besides the O Sylvester pipes and monstrosity pipes available on my site, check out some of my pipes over at pipesandcigars.com as well. Just go to pipesandcigars.com, do a search for Oli, that's O-L-I-E, and you'll see what pipes of mine they currently have in stock. Pick something up, and while you're there, grab some hearth and home tobacco, and let me know what you think. I keep hearing so many rave reviews about the stuff. They, they have... You know, Russ Ouellette just has some some really remarkable blends. And uh, let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you. I hear good stuff about uh, Hearth and Home all the time. This is Oli with Oompal.com wishing you very good luck trying to decide which new pipe or choice tobacco from PipesAndCigars.com will be next in your collection.